Hey yo, welcome back to Beyond the Diamond. We are your hosts, Colby Rush and Hunter Broadman. Remember to follow us on Insta at Beyond the Diamond Podcast and Twitter at Beyond the Dia Pod. Let's get right into today's show. What's up, guys? It's nice to be back here after two weeks on the road, but it was a great two weeks. So I'm back here on Beyond the Diamond for another episode talking about those super regionals, awesome couple of days of baseball. Colby, good to see you again. Good to see you. I mean, I had some fun without you exploring different guests. We had Dylan, Ryan, Nick, but it's nothing like being back, the duo. It's fun. Oh, yeah. Had to be back. Those guys did a great job. Listening to those episodes was fun. Something to entertain me during some long plane and bus rides. But uh, but yeah, it's it's always good to have the OG crew right back at it. For sure. Uh, so let's start off this episode with a little bit of a UConn send off. So like I said, nice to be back after a few weeks. I was traveling with the Huskies over the Big East tournament in uh, Mason, Ohio, and then the South Bend Regional. Um, look, at the end of the day, it was not a good ending, but as Coach Pender said, only one team can end with a win. So it, it was probably going to end at some point. Um, first time in program history that we won the regular season title and the conference tournament title this being our first year back in the Big East. So that's certainly something to be proud of for this team. Um, and it was it was an awesome adventure getting to be there for the Big East tourney and hoisting that trophy at the end felt really good. Um, you know, a week later, we felt Xavier's pain being on the other side of it, but that was a great experience. Um, in the regional, uh, it was started off with a nice opening statement, defeating Michigan. Um, we really have Michigan's number um, after we took took the series against them last year, um, right before COVID hit, um, three out of four, I believe it was, took that first game six to one. Um, Austin Peterson was pitching in front of 18 family members and friends. Uh, he outdueled uh, Stephen Hazier, um, the Michigan ace on Friday night. And one thing of note was that it was his first time all season not puking. I never wanted to say this on the show because I didn't know if it was public information, but yes, Austin Peterson puked before every start. Um, or at least in the Big East tournament, he actually didn't puke, but you might've seen him run off the mound. Like I said, I wasn't gonna be the one to say this, but then Coach Pender said it in his press conference, their Zoom press conference after this game on Friday. So I'm like, all right, we'll reveal this on the pod now that it's everybody knows about it. So it's was, it was quite the scene. Um, Interesting. But, once he got on the mound and threw that first pitch, he was good to go. And it showed he had an amazing season for us. Um, so he really did a nice job. I believe it was uh, five and two thirds innings. Let me double check that. Yeah, uh, it was. Yes, five and two thirds innings, one run ball with seven Ks. Uh, so he did an awesome job. And then the bullpen came in and did what they were doing all year. Um, unfortunately, the next two games did not go our way. Notre Dame and Central Michigan took care of business. Uh, legend of Nico Cavadas continued with the Fighting Irish. A couple home runs against us, including Grand Slam in the first inning, but it happens. He's, he's a monster and Notre Dame's a good team. We weren't really happy with them that they kind of ran up the score in the ninth inning, scoring eight, but you know what? It's the postseason, so you got to tack on all the runs you can. And then Central Michigan really just bunted us to death in that last game. They found our weakness. They told our coaches they had some of our guys were tipping so that that's never great but props to them for telling our coaches I guess I've never really seen that happen before but interesting nonetheless um there were some highlights though for sure uh, Eric Stock was nine for 12 
he continued his amazing season, ended up hitting 364 on the year. Um, he scored five runs, knocked in eight, and hit two of his six home runs on the season in South Bend. The ball is absolutely flying there, of which him and Zach Bushling would debate if they were real home runs or not, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but he had an amazing weekend, um, continued his awesome season. Speaking of continued his awesome season, Reggie Crawford, he had a two-home run <laughs> game against Central Michigan, including one in the seventh inning, a three-run shot to dead center field that made it a one-run game at the time, really got us back into it. And then he had one in the ninth to just continue this season. Um, he's, he's a stud, and I'm really excited to see what he can do next season. Um, and then the last note I have is everybody needs to watch Coach Pender's post-game speech with Chris Jones on the UConn Twitter um, it, from the last Central Michigan game. It's just the way he speaks about his team. He's one of the best leaders I've ever seen. It's just an honor to be able to listen to him on a daily basis. Um, and it just gives you a little glimpse into how much this 2021 team meant to everyone that was there and, and how much of the family environment it was. And you can really see the raw emotion that he has in that situation. Um, and it was just just an awesome glimpse in how special the program is. So I, I would really recommend that everybody watches that if they have the time. So that's, that's what I got from UConn. Uh, tough end, but an amazing run. Yeah, great run for sure. Um, I did watch that post-game interview and it was definitely touching like you could just tell he didn't want to leave even though they were obviously outplayed those last two games but he didn't think he might have thought so but he didn't really think he knew his guys put everything on the table that they could and there's only so many things you can do when a team gets nine bunt singles in the game that was that was something else I mean I tipped my cap to them they, they found what our weakness was and then they took advantage of it but you know what? Yeah, those teams outplayed us. They both deserved to win the games. I really thought this was the year for us to make a special run. And I mean, we did make a special run. It just didn't go as far as we thought it might have. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a team you can look back and be proud of what we've done. Yeah. I mean, I think at a point, a few of those funds were just, they were perfectly hit. Like runners on first and second, right down the third baseline. Like that, that's a perfect one. You can't really do much. That's the thing. You have to execute it. And every time without fail, they did. We tried to lay one bunt down and we couldn't execute it. They could do it 130 times. So I tip my cap. Yeah. Not much you can do about that. But great run for the Huskies for sure. So let's get into the supers. Um, I think the biggest one that stood out was the number one team in the country has fallen. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm still a little bit in shock. Although I don't, I know Kevin Cops got the loss. You can't blame Kevin Cops. You can't. Oh, no. What? Not and we'll get into why. We will get into why. But game one started off great. Got a 21-2 victory over NC State. Uh, Jose Torres had a home run in the second inning. NC State, they fought early. They made it look like, okay, we're here to play. Um, but then ultimately Arkansas came on and did their thing. Um, they had three run inning, four run inning, three run inning, six run inning. That'll do the job, I think. For sure. Uh, Robert Moore continued what he's been doing all year. He had two home runs and a double. He scored five and drove in five. Not bad. Uh, Christian oh. Franklin was out six, so Charlie Welch came in. He had been there like big pinch hitter all season. Um, he went three for four with a double, a homer, and four RBIs. And uh, Colin Smith also had a grand slam. 
for 16 hits in that game. Patrick Wicklander took the ball. He's been the Razorback ace for a while now. He worked six, um, did a nice job. And Kevin Copps did not pitch in this game. I didn't know that it was possible for there to be a game that Kevin Copps did not pitch in, but this was it. I was going to say, I think that's the only game this postseason he didn't pitch in. Yeah. I guess when you're up by 19 runs. You, you yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> um, Swansea State, you know, they Reed Johnson struggled on the mound a little bit, so they didn't, they didn't really use their top arms. They used seven of their more depth arms. Um, they did get the final run in the game with an RBI triple by Austin Murr, but, you know, that helped them with some momentum because in game two, they came out with six to five win. So after that 19 run loss, a little bit embarrassing for them. They came back and really woke up the Razorbacks. Um, they had three home runs and held them to four hits. Um, Charlie Welch was back at it. Um, D1 baseball calls him Arkansas's cult hero, which which I like there. That's always fun. Every team has a guy like that. Um, he had a second inning home run, but that was about it uh, because NC State got three home runs in the fourth inning. Uh, Jose Torres was back at it with another home run. Uh, Luca Tresh and Mensik, they also went deep and they tacked on another run in the sixth to extend that to six to two. Um, Arkansas certainly did battle with a three run seventh. Uh, Brady Stevens went yard, another run scored an error, and then Jalen Battles had an RBI hit. But Evan Justice struck out Franklin to end that threat. Um, Kevin Copps threw in this game. He worked two hitless and scoreless innings on 21 pitches. That's an important number to keep in mind because of what's going to happen in the next day. Um, but NC State made the most of their eight hits and took this ball game. That fourth inning really turned the tide. Um, great response after that 19-run loss. Yeah, and, and then, I mean, after that seventh inning, I guess it kind of makes sense to bring cops in because you're only down one. But at the same time, if you have the idea, which uh, Van Horn clearly did for game three, it makes zero sense to bring cops in at all. Yeah, that's... It's, I agree. They're chasing that win to try to finish them off. Understandable. But you also have to keep in mind we got a game to win tomorrow. And if I'm going to start this guy, do I want him throwing 21 pitches the day before? There was a lot of second guessing of Dave Van Horn this weekend. And, you know, probably well learned because Kevin Copps had to kill himself in this series. And ultimately, it wasn't enough for them. Um, North Carolina State, you know, they pulled off the shocker of the tournament in game three. A three to two win. They knocked off the number one team in the country in their house. Um, Kevin Kopp started this game after pitching those two innings. Eight innings, 118 pitches. Unbelievable effort. Um, running on absolute fumes. I'm sure that Dave Van Horn might have gone up to him to take him out, and he refused because this has happened in the past, like in the regionals when he went seven. They said he would not let go of that baseball no matter what. Um, so the fact that he only allowed three runs and he struck out nine is just ridiculous because he is amazing. Um, unfortunately for him, though, the NC State arms were matching him. Uh, Matt Wildeson started. He went four, only gave him a pair of hits and one run. Chris Viaman had three hits and a run, and Evan Justice went the final two. He had pitched the day before as well, and he didn't allow a hit or a run. He was, he was perfect. Uh, Johnny Butler had a two-run home run for NC State in the third inning. And at that point, you were looking at cops with 50-something pitches, and you're like, oh, boy. Like, they're going to have to turn to the bullpen soon. Well, I was incorrect. 
Um, they held that lead until the seventh because Caden Wallace tied the game with a home run for Arkansas. Uh, but we get to the ninth inning. Kevin Copps gets sent back out to the mound well over 100 pitches. I think it was, what, like 111 or something he was yeah. running the mound with. Um, and Jose Torres, for the third straight game, went yard. Um, he sent Cops pitch into the seats for a three to two lead. And Evan Justice finished the deal. And just like that, Arkansas was staying home and not headed to Omaha watching NC State celebrate on their field. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I was shocked when I saw Cops went out for the ninth. He ended in eighth. He was on 112 pitches, like we said. If you're smart, I know you I know you don't really trust your bullpen because that's why Cops has been your guy all year, but you can't put him back out there. He was clearly on fumes. And Torres put that the ball, I think it was two pitches before that, like it was out, but it was foul. You can't you have to walk him at that point. Like Cops is on fumes. You walk the guy, take him out. I don't care if he says no. Like he was not there. He had 324 pitches over 10 days in five appearances just ridiculous and I mean I know he's the man but like you said it gets to a point where you just have to take over as a manager and make that move because the fact that he had even gotten through five innings doing what he's doing was miraculous nonetheless eight so yeah it just it, your heart breaks for the guy like that after the season he's had might have been the best collegiate baseball pitching season we've ever seen and the fact that that was his final game is it's just and use the phrase again, it's heartbreaking. Um, yeah. And you see the type of stand-up person he is out there on the field signing autographs for hours afterwards. Man had a .60 ERA coming into that game and then only gave up two runs on eight innings before that home run. Um, it was Herculean. That's the best word to describe it, really. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, you give him the gold spikes because you have to. Like, there's no other answer for that award you can try to justify other people but what kevin cops has done if that doesn't win a golden spikes i don't know what does yeah and i mean i think the criticism of van horn is right i mean in 17 years he's had a lot of exits before the college world series with a lot of good teams in the sec so for the arkansas ad i mean i know van horn's respected he's a great coach but he's never been able to win that that game and you wonder why it's tough yeah and I mean it's just surprising that the number one team in the country doesn't have a three starter that they were confident enough to turn to in that game that they had to resort to cops pitching his arm off like you yeah, think they could have brought somebody in to go two or three innings at least and then just drag cops out of the pen as you've been doing all season this was his first start of the year yeah um, I had always joked when I said he was a starter but Hey, there's got to be some team in the draft looking at that saying, we can make you a starter if you want to. Yeah. I think I mean, he's best suited in the role he's been in all season, but you never I know. know I, was, I was checking the updates and he was at like 80 pitches through five innings or something like that. I was like, okay, so five innings. Yeah, that's good for him. Like he's not going to go more. Then I check up again and he's still pitching the eighth. So then I turn on the game and I'm like, I'll turn it on on my phone. I'll watch this. Comes out for the ninth. I'm like, what is Van Horn doing? Yeah. I think that was about everybody's reaction because a reliever over 100 pitches, over 300 pitches in five days, or five appearances in 10 days. Yeah. 
that's like even back in like the Nolan Ryan days, that's still crazy. Yeah, it, it is a little bit. Just one guy can only handle so much. It's certainly the anti-Kevin Cash debate, I suppose, but this it's crossed the line a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that's what makes college baseball a lot better is there's more like feel for the game than analytics based. But at the same time, you need a good balance. Like we've always said, this yeah. was not a good and balance. Watching the D1 baseball uh, uh, watch party, I think they called it, uh, on Friday night, they were having an interesting debate about the format of these super regionals and the regionals before that, really, because you might have to play five games over the span of three days to win that thing. You really have to have the pitching depth. And if you don't, you're going to absolutely kill your best arms. So I don't know how they can change it, but this format really seems difficult for all of these arms to get through because you end up with guys like cops um, just being abused like this. So like yeah. I said, I don't know what they can do to change it, but it almost doesn't seem fair. Even though these teams have survived it, the regionals especially are an absolute grind on these arms. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, pitching always wins championships, but to a point, like this is pitching to the extreme. Yeah. Every year there's there's one guy on each team that bites the bullet and throws way more pitches than he probably should. Yeah, and I mean, like you look at some of the big performances in the MLB postseason, Bumgarner, but that was essentially three starts, but that was over the course of like seven days. Yeah, exactly. That's MLB will give you some time off. College baseball, it's just boom. Okay, you won this game? Well, you got a doubleheader today. And I understand why, because they have to be done by the end of June. Yeah. And with how COVID worked this year, like, it made it tough for the postseason. But I think you could maybe shorten the season to 60 games max, because I know teams were playing over 60. Then you have the tournaments earlier, and then you have time off, and then you can spread it out. Yeah, that's another thing. I don't love how everybody's playing a different amount of games. This year was definitely the wild card to end all wild cards but in the future it would be nice to have everybody on the same schedule playing the same amount yeah maybe like 55 games for every team yeah something along those lines is perfect yeah you look you look at now the top eight teams left tennessee's the only 50 win team i mean and it's not like texas vandy arizona have lost they haven't actually lost more games they've lost i think they've all lost the same amount Tennessee just played more. Yeah. No, you're 100% right. It's it's an interesting debate. Um, but that's just how I feel about it. Yeah. No, it's tough. Anyway, on to uh, number two national seed, Texas. First, some may say they got the easiest slate, which I can definitely sympathize with because they had a fairly easy regional. No offense to Arizona State, Fairfield, or Southern. But that was nothing compared to what a lot of the other teams faced. And then they get the four seeds in South Florida, who run rough shed over the Gainesville Regional. So clearly they're good, but do they compare to Texas? Well, in game one, they were uh, South Florida was trailing by three entering the ninth. They had a homer, a double, and then a full count two run homer to tie the game. So clearly they can match up with Texas. Texas, however, in the bottom of the ninth, uh, Salias Ardon. Uh, reached on a two-out error 
nine-hole hitter Eric Kennedy followed with a smash over the center fielder's head for a walk-off 4-3 victory. I honestly thought that ball was going to go out, so even yeah. though it didn't reach and from first All these regional home. sites playing in the hot weather, the balls are flying, so anything in the air, it's got a chance. Yeah, it's not like these these stadiums are playing like they're little league parks. Texas is a big place. Like, that's a it big is. one. Um, I mean, Tennessee, what your name was like in the region. Yeah. My God. Tennessee, I can understand the great for because that one is small. But the rest of them, like Mississippi State, they're, it's not a small park. It's fitting 1,500 fans. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Ty Madden, um, Big 12 Pitcher of the Year, and Tanner Witt combined for a six-hitter in the Longhorn Super Regional opener. Um, Madden allowed three hits and six and two-thirds. He struck out nine, walked four. Um, Witt worked the final two and the third, allowed three hits during the nine-inning rally, um, including those two homers. Um Jake Jasek started for USF, pitched well. He only allowed three hits and two runs in his five innings. Daniel Kanlu homered in the ninth for the Bulls to break up the shutout. Uh, Jared Eaton added a double before Drew uh, Brutcher shocked everyone with the game-time blast. Um, Texas scored their, their first run in the first on an error like they have been doing all year. They'd take advantage of the walks and errors. Added their second run in the second on Mike Antico's RBI double. Longhorns had an insurance run in the seventh when uh, Trey Faltine doubled, scored on a sack fly. Um, and they met again nine o'clock the next day. Uh, the key moment in that game, uh, with a run in and a runner on second, USF had the tying run at the plate with Drew Butcher on a 3-2 pitch. Uh, Witt hung a breaking ball and Butcher did not miss. Smashed that way out to right field, no doubter for sure. Um, Texas responded with the walk-off, but everyone will remember how USF found their way uh, to tie that game, especially against the number two national seed who outmatched everyone this year. Game two, Texas won 12-4. wasn't nearly as exciting as the first game. Commanding 12-4 victory, too. Cam Williams homered and had two RBIs, four runs scored, and walked four times. Uh, Trey Faltine went two for three, two doubles, three RBIs, two runs. And Mike Antico went two for four, two RBIs, two runs, two walks, two stolen bases. Longhorns took advantage of 12 walks like they have all season, scored 12 runs with only 10 hits. USF scored the scored first with a pair of first inning runs, but Texas answered with four in the second, two in the third to put the game away. Jared Eaton uh, led USF going three for three with a double, two RBIs, and two runs scored. Texas is undefeated now through postseason play, if you don't count the Big 12 tournament. Um, Texas, fun note after the second game, Texas AD Chris Del Conte was out taking jello shots with the fans. It's just, just nothing compares to college baseball late in the postseason. It's awesome. It's, yeah, it's a completely unique thing that you don't see anywhere else. So playing into that fan atmosphere is awesome. I love it. Yeah. It's a great stadium, too. Great place. Big. Yeah, exactly. Texas did exactly what they needed to in these games. Uh, USF did make it tight with that Britcher home run, which was an amazing moment because no, I don't think many people expected that. No one expected no. USF to get out of Gainesville, and they took down the team that was the number one ranked coming into the season, preseason rankings, Florida Gators. Um, no one expected them to win a game. Yeah, 
So their run was pretty amazing. So there's no shame in losing to a team such as Texas's caliber in the Supers, that's for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. So moving on to Tennessee LSU, uh, Paul Maneri's gang, they had won four games in a row to get out of regionals, uh, four elimination games in a row, I should say, to get out of the regionals. So the fact that they were there was already a big accomplishment. They lost their best pitcher during the season. Um, just, just a really, really, really good uh, coaching job by him and his final run. Um, but man, speaking of great stadiums, it was packed in Tennessee. They had that overflow crowd they showed a couple times in both games. Um, Lindsey Nelson Stadium really came to play. Um, they had as many people outside as inside. Um, it was this was a pretty spirited one, but um, they came out with the four to two win. Um, LSU they battled throughout this game. They did happen to strike out sixteen times though, which is not great. Um, they do the first blood. Uh, Cade Doughty with second inning home run. Pouring rain, too. I think it was this game. It was either this game or the second one. Um, one. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, Doughty came up in the pouring rain, hit a home run. Um, rain stopped about, like, three minutes after he finished rounding the bases, too. Um, but LSU would only get five hits off of Chad Dallas of all start. He struck out 12 and did not walk about her, so he really settled in after the rain stopped. In that home run, um, Sean Hunley came in for the final three and was scoreless. Uh, Mikhail Hilliard got the ball for LSU. He he pitched pretty well. Five innings, struck out six, did not walk a batter. Only one run, but it was uh, Javen Coleman coming out of the pen that had some trouble. Um, had a tough six innings, but then bounced back to retire six of seven. Um, but really, the key moment was in that sixth inning, a three-run outburst by Tennessee. Uh, Max Ferguson had a full count walk. Jake Rucker with the double, Drew Gilbert then grounded out to Doughty, but Rucker, it was a weird play. He kind of like ran near him and he caused Doughty to pause, wasn't sure what to do. By the time he had thrown the first, Gilbert beat the play out. Rucker scored in an infield ground out and uh, Jordan Beck followed with that RBI single. So LSU fell in that game. And then we get to game two where Tennessee really turned it off. Uh, six home runs in a 15-6 victory. It was, it was a drubbing. That's, that's the best word to use to describe it. Um, they're heading back to the College Road Series for the first time since 2005. Um, ball was flying, as we've said about all these other ones. Um, LSU was really hoping that their ace, he'd been their ace since the injury to Hill, uh, Landon Marshall. Um, he just didn't have it. He only lasted three innings. He threw a lot in the Eugene Regional, so that might have played into it a little bit. But whatever the cause, he, he wasn't himself, which was a shame to see at this time of the year. Garrett Edwards replaced him. Um, gave up a home run to Connor Pavloni and would leave the game, was injured. So LSU had to go to their third pitch of the day in the fourth inning, and it was it was just unraveling a bit. Uh, Jake Rucker continued having his monster hot streak. He had home runs in his first two at-bats. Um, on the other side, though, LSU, just a freshman, Dylan Cruz matched him. He also had two home runs in his first two. But really, the difference was the depth of that Tennessee lineup. Drew Gilbert, Evan Russell, and Jordan Beck all went yard. Um, so Tennessee's heading back to Omaha. They're going to be facing Virginia. And the legendary coaching career of Paul Maneri has come to an end after he announced his retirement before this postseason run started. Unbelievable fight from his team and the fact that they even got there. 
little shorthanded. It says a lot about the type of coach he is. So we will see where LSU turns in the coaching carousel, but that is the end of the line for them in 2021. Yeah, great run for sure. No one expected them after their ace went out. No one expected them to make the postseason, never mind make the super regionals. So great coaching job, great career, 1,500 wins, an NCAA championship, uh, multiple SEC titles. Just a great, great run. One of the greatest of all time. And uh, Tennessee, that's an exciting team to watch. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do in Omaha, especially now that the number one team is out, anything can happen. But the team we're about to get into next certainly might have turn the best shot. They're turning it on at the right time for sure. So let's get into that. Uh, number four national seed Vanderbilt versus East Carolina, the um, American champions. Um, so the Vandy Whistler, yeah, and everyone needs to stop talking oh my about God. him. Very annoying. It's, it's 2021. Can we come up with some sort of technology? So everyone watching on TV, like blocks that out. Get every yeah. stadium mic except the one right by him or her. <laughs> I agree. Um, game one, pitchers duel like we all expected. Um, Vandy won. It was amazing pitchers duel. Uh, East Carolina's Gavin Williams and Vandy's Kumar Rocker, both projected first-round picks. I mean, we know Rocker's going to go. Williams should go. Um, Rocker's a marquee name, but Williams was just as good, if not better, for times. I mean, he's the AAC Conference Pitcher of the Year um, for ECU. Um, ranks among the national leaders in strikeouts per nine, sixth with uh, 14.23. Uh, wins seventh with 10, ERA ninth with a 1.82, strikeouts 20th with 117, strikeouts to walk ratio 32nd, 6.16, and hits allowed per nine, 34th, 6.08. With Hawkins Field rocking, Williams was just completely unfazed. He powered through into the eighth, thanks in large part to his upper 90s heat and hammer of a curveball, which landed around pitcher, pitching Ninja's Twitter account early and often on Friday. Pitching Ninja was busy in this game for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, he ended his day with seven, a third, 13 Ks, seven one hits, two walks, and both runs unearned. His 105th of day was still at 97. And I'd also like to note he had multiple pitches, 101, 100. So he's got it. He's got it the stuff. Special to watch. And um, I guess the one good thing about the COVID season being shortened last year is that while you kind of still in the American, we didn't have to face them at all. <laughs> That's true. Um, unfortunately for him, um, the other guy on the mound, Kumar Rocker, we know him. Back in the Super Regionals for sure, the first time since his 2019 no-hitter, he allowed no one to cross the plate at all. In that 2019 game, he struck out 19 of the Duke Blue Devils. And, I mean, it's just been up since then. He set the bar high, and he has not disappointed. Um, he fired two and seven and two-thirds, striking out 11, only allowing three hits and three walks. And the standing ovation he got in what is his last game at home at Hawkins Field in a Vandy uniform was amazing. Yeah, just they had amazing. that cool shot of his mom in the stands, too. I guess both of his parents, but just, like, realizing that was his last time pitching there. Pretty, pretty cool moment for a guy that has certainly deserved it with his college career. And good on Tim Corbin, too. I know a lot of coaches, some do it, some don't, but taking him out in the middle of the inning so he gets that ovation instead of 
just not having him come out uh, in the ninth. I, I love that move. Yeah, and the luxury that Tim Corbin has when you have basically two closers in Nick Maldonado and Luke Murphy, both guys have eight saves. Well, at the spoiler alert, at the end of this weekend, both of them had eight saves. Hmm. Um, when you have those guys in the back end, you have the luxury of being able to do things like this. So yeah, it's everything came up bandy in these ones. Yeah, uh, like you said, Nick Maldonado only needed four pitches to finish the eighth inning. I mean, that was Kumar could have done it, but like we said, Corbin given the courtesy of walking off. Uh, he was the setup man in this one. Like uh, like Hunter said, Maldonado and Murphy are basically, they're both setup and closers, depending on how Corbin uses them in each game. Luke Murphy collected his eighth save of the year with an easy one, two, three, ninth. Vanderbilt scored runs in the second with uh, left fielder Javier Vaz uh, playing Parker Nolan, who reached on a butt si- bunt single, great bunt single. Talk about executing. Yeah. Um, and then they uh, scored... On an RBI ground out, uh, Vaz scored on the RBI. Vaz plated him on the RBI ground out. And the eighth, Keegan tacked on an insurance run, scoring Bradfield on fielder's choice. Those two, we've heard them all year. Oh yeah, great. Heart and soul that bandy lineup, that's for sure. Yeah, the one and three hitters. You got uh, Carter Young, who's back at the two hole. <coughs> so Vandy's rocking. Um, I see what speaking of. Speaking of which, for game two, I mean, we knew it's likely Vandy's going to win Light, Kumar and Lighter. We had never seen Lighter in a post super regional postseason game, but he did not disappoint. And as we know, playing Vandy in a super regional or in Omaha or anywhere, you got to beat Kumar and Lighter in order to do anything. Um, so that's not usually good, good, you know, chance. These best um, of three formats – yeah, that's not good news for the opponent when they got to be one of these guys. Yeah, and Vandy was never at their top this regular season, and they were still dominating teams. So scary what they can become. Um, and there's no better proof of this than East Carolina's offense. Only managed to score one run the entire weekend. Um, they look to be off to a nice start when Connor Norby, um, I believe he's AAC Player of the Year. Um extended his national hit lead to with uh, 100, his 102nd hit with a leadoff single. Um, Lighter didn't get phased by that. Got a ground out in two strikeouts and the frame. From there, no looking back. Aside from the whole solo homer um, by Josh uh, Moylan in the eighth, Lighter was on cruise control. 61 of his 94 pitches went for strikes, an insane rate. 10 batters went down by uh, way of strikeout, and the sophomore did what he does best, over seven strong strong innings. Rocker and Lighter combined for 21 strikeouts and only allowed one run on five hits and six walks in 14 or third combined innings. That's tough to beat when you got to play 18 innings. And um, basically only three of them were not pitched by Rocker or Lighter who were dominant. Yeah, I mean, we've hyped these guys up all season for a reason. And now you're seeing why uh, both turning it on and becoming the dominant their dominant selves at the right time. Um, and speaking of pitching ninja, we talked about him a few minutes ago, but he had that amazing shot or ESPN showed, I guess. I liked those umpire cams they had going. That one of lighters 98 up and in. My that gosh. Was... It raises the question again that I love to say, and I might've said this on every podcast, but how does anyone ever hit a baseball? It's the hardest thing to do. I think um, 
the MLB needs to adopt that, but of course they won't until they get robo umps, which is definitely needed too. You're um, too busy working on sticky stuff, but uh, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's what's um, later. But I don't know why we haven't seen the college. Like apparently they've been wearing them all year. Those cameras, we just haven't seen them. I mean, what better turn to of a replay of a nasty pitch than that? They're also a hit by, a hit by pitch. Why are they not using that camera angle to determine every hit by pitch? That's true. It should it's be easy. Angle. Yeah, Especially unless you're putting pick one. Pick up the noise of it hitting their uniform or something, which is that's something they like to reference a lot. Can you hear anything? Yeah. Unless they're putting like a camera inside home plate looking up, I think that's the best camera angle you got, which they should do that too. But Yeah. Well, we used to have that a little bit. Like Fox had that one like in home plate. Yeah. But then I think they took it out because of sign stealing, of course. I mean, that makes sense. But you just delay the broadcast. Yeah, exactly. It's whatever. Um, anyway, ECU's uh, Carson Weisenhunt. Uh, came into the game with an ERA in the mid threes and a six and two record. He held the Vandy bats scoreless through four before he walked two straight and got pulled in the fifth. Um, his final number four and a third, two hits, three walks, two runs. Uh, those two runs uh, were obviously the two walks that he gave up and then got pulled. Um, Carter Young back healthy, looking good. Two RBI single in the fifth to open the scoring. Bandy added more in the eighth as Enrique Bradfield Jr. had an RBI double and Keegan uh, walked with the bases loaded. Um, ECU skipper Cliff Godwin wanted to get his best bullpen arms in the game. And, I mean, overall, they did pretty well, allowing four runs against the powerful Vandy lineup. But it just wasn't enough against Leiter and uh, Maldonado. Um in two games, ECU managed just five hits and only one run, one of them for extra bases. Vandy then became the first team to punch their ticket to Omaha, returning for the fifth time in 11 years and getting to defend their 2019 national championship. Godwin was another one. Um, he kind of showed that Coach Pender's like emotion in the final scene there of just like, my God, we keep getting as close as can come, but just can't get over that edge. Look, it was a tough break for them having to go into Nashville and take on the top two college terms in the country. So the fact that they played as close as they did says a lot about the caliber of their club. Um, and somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose, but you just feel terrible for him. Like, he wanted it so bad and just couldn't get over the hump. Yeah, and also I heard this during the broadcast. Um, he was actually an assistant under Corbin at Vanderbilt, so you knew he was going to have that fire any Corbin guy does so you look at Presbyterian they obviously don't have the talent but that's a Corbin team too definitely um and props to them for getting back to the tourney um you've got I think it was only their second or third year in D1 Presbyterian Mm -hmm. you kind of played them last year and they didn't look too hot so the fact they were able to get into the field of 64 was pretty impressive Uh, yeah but Mm -hmm. That is Vanderbilt doing Vanderbilt things. That's, that's what happened I, that weekend. I'm not going to say they're my pick but because we'll do that on Friday, but I think they should be the favorite because they were always 1-2 with Arkansas all year. Then they had the little slip up, but when their arms are going and their bats are just doing timely hitting, they're the best team in the country. I mean, if those top two pitchers are going to throw like that, give me the Alabama football debate. I'll take them against any major league team 
Yeah, honestly, they got a higher velocity than the Cubs. Yes, that's a tough look for the Cubbies. But hey, they had a nice little weekend for themselves. I think if you take Kyle Hendricks out of it, you got to take Kyle Hendricks out of it, and then they probably evens up. Yeah. My favorite thing about the Cubs this year has been watching Craig Kimbrell get back at it. I don't want to do Chris Bryant right now, but he's looking like his old self. Chris Bryant, too. He's leading the vote for the third baseman. Yeah. So just when everybody thinks the Cubs are done, they're showing they got a little life left in them. Yeah. Uh, But you know who does not have any life left in them? Old Miss. Arizona took that series. (laughs) Sorry, guys. So before the series, there was a big thing to pay attention to. Arizona, two of their bullpen aces, uh, both lefties, Randy Abshire and Gil Luna, they were suspended. Um, they never said exactly what it was. It was by either the school or the program, but it was an off-field incident. So the Wildcats were shorthanded in the most important series of the year, which they, they did all right, but it could have been bad if they really needed these guys. Um, so wonder will they be back for Omaha I'd assume but who knows um schools take this stuff very seriously and whatever they did was obviously bad enough that they couldn't have been there for this series um in game one Arizona got the nine to three win um at four home runs in a stadium not not known for being a home run haven um but it sure played like one just as all of these did um, they got out to an early three-run lead. Uh, Old missed it, excuse me. Got out to the early three-run lead. Justin Bench had an RBI double. TJ McCann's an RBI single. Despite getting a few runners on, they left six on base for the game. That would be it. Um, Arizona, they fought their way back this entire game. Dante Williams homered in the bottom of the first. Uh, Tony Bullard in the second. And then he homered again in the fourth to tie. In the fifth, Jacob Berry, who had a big weekend himself. He had a two-run home run. Put the Wildcats on top. Bullard back at it. He tripled in the sixth and scored on the ground out. And Williams put the final nail in the coffin with the bases loaded, bases clearing double. Cool moment there. Um, Chase Tilfeth. I, I watched that one. Oops. <laughs> Started for Arizona. I went four and two thirds in allowed six runs. Uh, you know, had that three run first inning. So I guess he rebounded well enough. Um, he struck out six and walked four. But the Arizona bullpen playing a little shorthanded. They dominated, did what they needed to do. Riley Cooper stepped up and went two and a third hitless. Dawson Nets and Vince Vanell then slammed the door with hitless frame each. Uh, Derek Diamond had an on and off day. Um, at the end of the day, it was four runs allowed over um, four plus innings. Um, he wasn't their ace. It was Doug McKenzie who went on Saturday, but he pitched pretty well in that atmosphere, especially considering he wasn't, you know, wasn't hadn't been in that spot too much. Um, Tyler Myers came out of the pen though and allowed five hits and five runs in three and two thirds innings. Um, so we get to game two where Old Miss rebounded on the back of Doug McKenzie. Um, it was really their bats that made the difference in this game, highlighted by that six run second inning. Um, but Garrett Irvin, um, not his finest there with that six run inning. Um, McKenzie did well, though. Um, he got stretched out with 50 pitches in two innings, but battled through five and a third, 10 strikeouts, uh, walked through, allowed six hits and two runs, and Austin Miller did an awesome job in relief. He got the final three and two thirds and only allowed one run, uh, struck out six without a walk. And once again, here we go with 
all these bullpen guys have to step up. And Old Miss was the team that got it in this game. Uh, Jake Gonzalez led off that first inning with a home run, two-run double in that six-run second. Uh, Hayden Chatonier homered in the inning, while Hayden Dunhurst and John Reese Pumley each had REI singles, and the Rebels opened up with a 7-0 lead after two innings. Um, Arizona's little run came in the fourth. Uh, they scored two on a Bullard hit, and Holgate also had one. Um, but Old Miss answered three more runs, including a wild pitch, a sack fly, and another Dunhurst RBI single, who finished three for four on the night. Um, Arizona capped their scoring. Dante Williams went yard again. He had a huge weekend, as I mentioned before. But I guess that gave them some momentum heading into the final game, which their bats really woke up in a 16-3 victory in game three of this series. A 20-hit attack was booed by seven-run fourth, and they put Ole Miss away and headed back to Omaha. Six of the Arizona starters in that lineup had multiple hits, and four drove in multiple runs. It was a five-RBI performance from Brandon Bossier. Um, the top three hitters in their lineup, as I've been mentioning throughout this little segment here, Williams, Barry, and Bossier combined to go nine for 14 with 10 runs scored, four doubles, one home run, 10 RBIs, and three walks over that weekend. Old Miss, they tried to get a little of the Kevin Coffs magic at Taylor Broadway. Turned into a guy that's been their closer all season in the starting role, but he allowed eight hits and six runs over three innings, so he, he couldn't get the job done. Four Arizona pitchers, once again, with that sure-handed bullpen, combined to limit Old Miss to five hits, struck out 10. Uh, TJ Nichols was the pitching star. He entered in the third and went five and a third, three hits, one run ball, seven strikeouts. So Arizona is headed back to Omaha. Uh, second time in five seasons under their coach, Jay Johnson, and their 18th trip overall. Yeah. Um, I think we both underestimated Arizona, mostly because we haven't been able to watch them play playing so late at night. But they definitely showed on the national stage. They're a team to be look out for. They they're with Vandy in that bracket. That bracket's definitely, even with Arkansas out, I still think that's the toughest bracket with Stanford and NC State, two underdog teams that are tough outs. So I'm not really sure Absolutely. how that bracket's going to play, but it's going to play tough for sure. Just look at the teams that Stanford and they beat. So, yeah, no doubt that bracket is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Another shout-out we got to give here, Tim Elko. Man, what a season that guy had. Who needs ACLs? He tore his, tore his on April 5th, and you would really only know that watching him run with that big knee brace he had on. He might have been better than before at the plate, and man, talk about some heart. Um, it was clear that he really wanted to play for that championship, so it sucks to see his season come to an end because it would have been awesome to watch him in Omaha, but what a run he had. It was a great run, and gutsy. That's all I can say about it. It was gutsy. Yes, absolutely. Um, another fun-loving guy, UVA DEU series. Um, a series that was played in Columbia, South Carolina, because uh, the way they did it this year, they determined the sites before, so they had to play at a site that was already determined, DBU and UVA never well, uh, were chosen. So um, that's where they played it. Two interesting notes by um, that Brian O'Connor, the UVA manager, made. Stephen uh, Scoach, interestingly, not used at all after being used, I think, in every regional game as their closer and also, you know, the dip and dots extraordinaire. Um, and Mike Vassell, the Massachusetts kid, he's been there 
two three starter every uh every weekend this year. He was only used for one inning in relief in game one, the entire series too. So maybe they're trying to recharge those two guys for a post uh, college world series run, or I'm not really sure what they're trying to do. Yeah, it was weird. Um, Shock has pitched feels like every inning out of that, that bullpen. And I saw him warming up a few times, but he never actually got in the game. They won, so I'm not going to question it. Uh, but yeah, Vassal's been a stalwart for them all year. Um, they turned to Griff McGarry, and turns out it worked out well. Seemed like a head-scratcher for all the second-guessers out there. But he shut all those guys up. Yeah, they know something we don't, clearly. Um, game one, DBU won 6-5. Um, they had three home runs in the first and then the game tying and go ahead runs, um, in their six, five victory. Um, Jack Jackson Glenn hit a two run home run to open the scoring in the first Virginia answered with a five run fifth. Those were were their only runs, uh, Tappan and, uh, Jake Geloff, the younger Geloff, uh, both homered Devin Ortiz, the stud DH for, uh, UVA. He connected with the bases loaded clearing double um dbu picked up a run in the fifth before andre sosa tied the game in the sixth with a two-run home run andrew benfield provided the final margin uh in the next inning with a homer after patriot ace uh dominic hamill pitched five innings three dallas baptist relievers worked the four worked uh the four and only allowed two hits and no runs um, although there was a couple of close calls there towards the end in the seventh, eighth, and ninth. Um, Ray Gaither worked two innings and picked up the win. Peyton Sherlin pitched the eighth. And then after a rain delay of nearly four hours, Zane Ruffel, Russell worked the final frame for the save. Four pitchers combined to hold Virginia to seven hits and collect 13 strikeouts. Um, key moment with the tying run on third base with two outs in the ninth inning, Zane Russell coaxed a line, line out to first to first base for Max Cotier to end the game. Um, definitely some close calls for a DBU with UVA threatening in the eighth and ninth, I think, with runners in second and third. But, you know, yeah. the team prevailed. They did. Did a nice job to hold off that team. Yeah. Um, game two, UVA. Just dominant performance, 4 nothing. They used a couple of long balls to break open the pitcher's duel and defeat Dallas Baptist 4-0. Um, Zach Geloff, the older brother, broke up the school's game in the eighth, the home to left. Later in the inning, Alex Tappen added the insurance with a three-run bomb to left field, just an absolute moonshot. Um, then DBU in the ninth, they threatened getting the first two runners on and then loading the bases with two outs. But with the tying run at the plate, uh, Georgia Spate uh, flew to right field to end the game. Interesting not to see... Um, Steven Scoach uh, come in in that situation, but we're not the managers. Maybe maybe there's something, there's a reason for that. Um, like Connor said, Griff McGarry got the start. Um, he was 0-5 with a 7.54 ERA entering the game. That's not great. However, he, um, he had only allowed 27 hits in 28 innings, and he had walked 37 to go with 51 strikeouts. So not insane numbers. But when he throws strikes, he's a handful. And today he was definitely a handful. Um, McGarry didn't allow a hit until the seventh and only allowed two in his seven plus inning stint. He struck out 10 and only walked three. Um, 
Brandon Neek worked the final two innings to pick up the save. EBU received a strong start from Rhett Kuba. He pitched seven and a third and had a shutout until the eighth. Allowed six hits and two runs. He struck out five and walked one. Um, rare scoreless game in the eighth between Virginia and DBU before Zach Geloff smacked the solo bomb to uh, start the scoring. Yeah, I guess you kind of see O'Connor's strategy a little bit here. He likes to just ride his guys. Um, when he came in to work those final two, he, I guess he didn't have any intention of pulling him for shock, even though he was warming up. So um, we saw it again in game three, as we'll get to in a moment. But once he gets his guy in the groove, he doesn't want to take him out. Just like, uh, you know, Dave Roberts learned his lesson with Julio Urias in game six of the World Series. He's rolling. I'm going to let him be. Yeah, don't mess with what's working, I guess, even if it gets close. Um, game three, UVA. One five two. It was much closer than that three-run margin. Kyle Teal hit a seventh-inning grand slam to give Virginia their first lead in the five-two victory over Dallas Baptist. Um, DBU took the th- uh, lead in the third on a two-run home run by Jackson Glenn. Virginia answered with a sink with one run to get one run back in the fourth on a Nick Kent home run. Game stayed at two-one until Teal hit that grand slam which came after two of the three runners reached with two outs. So two out rally at its finest. Um, DBU, they had strong pitching in this game. Luke Eldred, Ray Gaither, and Peyton Sherlin. Um, they, I mean, two swings and they would have, two swings going the other way and they would have been on their way to Omaha. Um, I do, I did notice that sticking with the closer Sherlin a little, once the bases got loaded, you should have pulled him. You left him in one batter too too much just like Van Horn did with uh cops but I can't can't win them all I guess Virginia starter uh Nick Savino worked three and a third before Matt Wyatt entered Wyatt was pitched the final five and two thirds two hits uh and a shutout he struck out eight and walked two um it was great defensive highlights there was I think there was three three straight like ESPN top 10 plays um but again, with Wyatt, you noticed O'Connor. He kept his guy in, riding him for five and two thirds, just like he did against Old Dominion. Yeah, um, he had that home run robbery, especially in center field, was an electric moment for them in this game. Um, I, I'll be honest, I thought Wyatt was tiring a little bit, but he proved me wrong. It was the eighth inning or so. He was had a couple. Actually, I think it was the seventh. Had a couple hard hit balls, but he settled back in and really did an amazing job. Uh, that teal at bat was funny. Um, they kept throwing curveballs at him. Sherlin was, you would have to assume teal was sitting fastball at some point. Um, so Sherlin just kept going back to the breaking ball. Got, he laid off a few, had an ugly swing or two mixed in there. But then with two strikes, tried to go back to that well one more time to put it away, left it just up in the zone a little too much for a hitter of teal's caliber. And you saw what happened. Yeah, um, I mean, the first, the, the second curveball of that at bat, Teal, I mean, his helmet fell off. He was on the knee. He was oh, fooled. Yeah. So you can't blame Sherilyn for going back to it. And even Teal said after the game, he thought that was just a fly out to center field. The ball is just carrying in every park. Absolutely. So you got to wonder how it's going to play up north in uh, Omaha. I'd yeah. assume it's not going to carry as much, but I don't know anything. <laughs> I mean, it's not that far away from Notre Dame where we saw the ball carrying I guess I don't know if it's hot the ball's gonna fly that's that's all I've learned the last couple weeks yeah 
That's definitely true. We definitely saw that in Mississippi. Oh, yes, we did. So speaking of Notre Dame, Mississippi, in game one, it was a 9-8 victory for State. Um, in front of the largest crowd in Super Regionals history at the Dude, as they call it, Duty Noble Field. Man, that place was rocking. For that first game, they got 14,385 fans, pretty similar numbers throughout the rest of the weekend. But that game itself broke the record. Um, this, was a, this was a fun one. Back and forth, back and forth all day. Um, they traded those punches all afternoon, but the home crowd got the result they wanted. Um, and I think that home crowd did rock Notre Dame a little bit. They made four errors in this game. And all we've heard from them all season is they're one of the strongest defensive teams in the country. Well, that audience was, was tough on them. Um, it was uh, Rowdy Jordan was the star for the Bulldogs. He went three for five with a double and a home run. And Logan Tanner's home run in the bottom of the seventh. Um, they allowed the Bulldogs hand the ball over to Landon Sims, who worked perfect two innings, struck out three Irish, and closed that game out. Um, the starters didn't fare too well in this one. Uh, Notre Dame jumped on Will Bedner for four runs in four innings um, and added three more to lead 7-3 in the fifth. Uh, John Michael Bertrand, he battled through those innings, um, only gave up three. So Link Jarrett turned it over to Tanner Kohlhepp, who's been their guy all season. You know, once again, he's, he's been their cops. He hasn't been as dominant as cops, but he's been pretty damn good. Uh, that's for sure. Um, Cole Hepp, he, he was getting it up there on the radar gun. There was some high 90s with some serious movement. You can see what makes him so good. But Mississippi State, they got some action going. Uh, their defense hurt them again, as I mentioned, but uh, 200 runs scored, and that was enough for Mississippi State. Uh, Zach Prajner, he was hitting in the nine hole, but he had an unbelievable game. Uh, three hits, two doubles, and a three-run home run. Brooks Ketsey also homered for this Irish 13-hit attack. Um, but Jordan, Tanner, and Allen all hit home runs for Mississippi State, which put them over the top. Um, in game two, though, Notre Dame made sure their season would not end with a 9-1 to victory. Um, they did, after they made some mistakes on Friday, or Saturday, excuse me, they did just about everything right in this one, a 9-1 to victory. They scored two in the first inning on an infield hit and a throwing error, then scored another on the fourth and another Bulldog error. They broke it open in the fourth with a three-run home run from the catcher, David Lamana, and Jack Brannigan tacked on two more with home run in the sixth. Uh, Aiden Tyrell did an awesome job on the mound for them. Seven and a third, allowed just five hits in one run. He struck out six and walked three, and Alex Rayo came out of the pen, solidified it, got the last five outs, kept the rest of them fresh for the next day. Um, Tyrell, it was funny to see him get the start because they had turned to um, – a different arm against us, their UConn, in game two of that series, uh, Will Mercer. So they went to Tyrell in game two of this one and move paid off. So who am I to question Link Jarrett because he's had an amazing season in the Notre Dame dugout. But in game three, their season came to an end with an 11-7 to Mississippi State victory. Um, a six-round second inning really made the difference in this one. They jumped out to an early eight-round lead. But, man, those Irish battled. Um, Notre Dame just kept fighting, ended up only falling by four runs. Uh, game three attendance at 11,784, put the three-game total at 40,140, the largest for a three-game series crowd in NCAA history. That was, that was unbelievable. Uh, Mississippi State, they had thought, they're going to start Sims? Is this going to be another cop situation? Well, they didn't do that. They turned to Houston Harding, 
and he pitched well in his four inning stint. Um, so it was a good idea in hindsight. Um, they did bring Sims in in the sixth inning. Uh, Kyle Peterson made a note on the broadcast that he thought he might have been holding his stuff back a little bit early on with the big lead so that he could be fresh for the seventh, eighth, ninth inning. And you might have seen that when Nico Cavadas hit that home run out of the stadium. That ball was absolutely destroyed. Um, so those are the two runs that Sims gave up. But props to Nico, man. What a season that guy had. It was a shame that he had to make the final out on that double play because the guy's been there for them all season. Um, seems like a stand-up individual, too. So that was unfortunate. Um, but Sims World, as they like to call him down there, did his job for the rest of the way. Um, Ryan Cole had a home run for Notre Dame in their fight. Um, once again, a really good battle to not, they went down fighting and they brought John Michael Bertrand back after starting the game, entered in the fifth and he fared the best out of all their pitchers. So running on fumes, nice effort by him. Um, Link Jarrett after the game, he was unhappy with the Irish's seating because he believes that they got gypped out of that top eight of which, it's a fair, fair argument with the way they played this year. Um, when in the ACC in as convincing fashion as they did, doing as well in the regional as they did, he really wished they could have had that home field advantage. That place was quite loud. Um, but Mississippi State ultimately got the upper hand. Um, this was a super regional where fans played more of a role. Um, the dude was rocking. There were fans lining up at 8 a.m. yesterday. So Mississippi State came out firing and took this one. Yeah. Um, I mean, the dude clearly played. That that played a factor, a bigger factor than I think people realize. I've never seen a fan base like that. That was something else. The barbecue smoke in the outfield is a classic Southern touch, too. I love that. That was awesome. I mean, both the Mississippi teams, they got great, great fan bases, great stadiums. That's a newer one. It's definitely the biggest i'd say i don't see anything that competes um but yeah Starkville uh, i i think there's an there's definitely an argument that they could have been a national seed but and i think texas they would have replaced texas tech it's tough because you look at the like strength of schedule and all that but they did win the acc by five games it's an argument that'll never end yeah, I understand both sides. I understand how the committee did it. I mean, there's always going to be people that have problems with how the committee does it. We can go back and forth on that all day. But, you know, I do understand what Jared is saying with the season they had. It was an amazing one. And that's a stacked lineup they had. But ultimately, it wasn't enough, I guess. Yeah, I still think the power of uh, Sims, Allen, and Tanner, not Tanner Allen, Tanner Allen and Logan Tanner. Yeah. Um, I still think that even if they were at Notre Dame, it still would have, they still probably would have won. I would lean towards that as well, but hey, you never know. But the fans definitely did play a bigger role. That for sure. They silenced Nico a little bit in those first two games before he really burst on the scene with that moonshot in the third game. So maybe yeah, it was just maybe he might have hit about seven more home runs if they were playing in South Bend. Yeah. It was just too, it was too late, but that was quite the home run. Yeah. Um, anyway, on to the final series. Um, definitely the, besides the Arkansas one, I know you said it was probably the most shocking to you. 
I had personally watched a lot of Stanford baseball recently, so I wasn't as shocked, but still the result, the numbers were definitely not what I expected. Yeah. See, I'm on the other side of that. I've watched a ton of tech after UConn played them and the way Stanford shut down their lineup in Lubbock blew me away. Nothing, uh, taking nothing away from Stanford. They did an amazing job, but that shocked me to see their bats go as silent as they did. Yeah. I, I did not expect them to win by a total of uh, 24 to three. Yeah. That, that part did shock me. However, um, Stanford starter in game one, uh, Brendan Beck, he had asked Coach Dave Esker if they could wear their black jerseys because it's going to be Texas Tech's funeral quote. Um, that was awesome. I love that. I'd like to remind you, it was 106 on the field on turf uh in the middle of the day so it was probably like 115 at the start of the game so good on them i guess yeah not much else talk about firing the boys up yeah exactly um and that definitely fired them up seven and a third six hits two runs one walk 13 k's um stanford started scoring early and often they started they scored four runs in the top of the first tim tawa the uh, second baseman, senior second baseman. He started the scoring with a solo shot, and um, it just kept going from there. Christian Robinson paced the offense with four RBIs, um, and Cody Cuff, Nick Brewster, uh, Drew Bowser, and Tommy Troy all had multi-RBI nights. Um, only one Stanford starter did not record a hit. That's when you know it's a good day for the offense. Yeah, I'll say so. Uh, meanwhile, Tech's offense was um, basically just Cole Stillwell. He had two hits, one was a home run, and two RBIs. Not much else coming from that Tech offense. They silenced uh, the middle infield, power middle infielders, uh, Jace Jung and uh, uh, Conley. Yeah, I was just um, about to say, I'm not used to a tech, tech recap that doesn't include highlights from Drew Baker, Young, and Conley. Yeah. Those had unbelievable seasons. Yeah, the Young, big, big 12 player of the year, silenced, absolutely silenced. And to add on top of that, in game two, Stanford, I mean, if you thought Beck was dominant, Alex Williams wanted to show you what dominance, pure dominance looks like. Nine innings, complete game shutout. Two hits, zero runs, one walk, 10 Ks. And there was a point in the eighth inning where the announcers were like, there's no way he can keep going. He's at like 110 pitches. Like they should pull him now so he gets a standing ovation and then have someone come in like what uh, Corbin did with Rock. Well, instead, Esther is like, you want to keep going? Keep going. And that's what he did. Coaches like to prove announcers wrong a lot. <laughs> I, I found that too. Um, and, I mean, Williams, final out, funnily enough, uh, was uh, Jace Young. Sucks for him, but, I mean, Williams was just – he was unhittable. Yeah. And when they were making contact, it's it was kind of like – um. Anthony DiScafani for the Giants. It was weak contact. There was no no power coming off those bats. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, for Stanford, um, there was a lot of power coming off one guy's bat in particular. Brock Jones, he had what we would consider a career day. Started the scoring in the bottom of the first solo shot. He then had another homer and a grand slam. He accounted for six of the nine total runs Stanford scored. Many would say that's pretty good. I'd, I'd have to agree. Um, many also thought this this would 
like we said in the beginning, I I did not think it was going to be this. The final score was going to be this. Yeah. I thought it would be. I I didn't think Stanford would sweep necessarily. I did personally think Stanford would win. I think they're definitely the most slept on team in uh, Omaha. But to do it in this fashion, I, I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, I mean, I expected it to be one of those like Stanford wins twelve to eleven if they're going to do it, but certainly that didn't happen. Um, and like you said, they are a sleeping giant. It's a little bit of that East Coast slash for college baseball Southern bias that it, you think it's just SEC and those East Coast teams, but. Stanford out there in the West Coast proving people like, hey, no, we're, we're here to play. You might not have watched much of us unless you're Colby because you're on your game. Um, yeah. But we're here to show you that we can hang with these guys. And um, Tech had been 4-0 in home, reg- home super regions before the series. So a lot of people thought they would win because they had every other time they were in a home super region. But yeah. Stanford said not today. Tim Tadlock got that lifetime extension for a reason. Yeah. And fortunately, it didn't work out this year. Did not. Um, so now that we know all eight teams, we're going to do a preview on Friday of the eight teams. But before we do that, I just want to say, of the eight, NC State and Tennessee are the only two that like haven't been there recently. Besides, Texas and Stanford are historically always there. Texas making like their 37th appearance or whatever. Stanford making their 20th, I think. Arizona, UVA, Vandy, Mississippi State. I've all been there fairly recently. Yeah, first time in a couple of years for UVA. They won 2015, haven't been back since, but as a hungry team, that's for sure. I still consider that recent. They went back-to-back 14-15, or runner-up then one. Vandy, as we know, fifth time in 11 years. Um, Mississippi State, I think it's their third straight. Um, Texas first since 2005, or Tennessee, Texas, their 37th time. Stanford's up there. Uh, Arizona, it's their second straight, and they were runners up in 2015. Yeah. Um, so it's, I don't, it's not like college football where it's the exact same teams. It's yeah. fairly similar teams, but that's just because talent's going to fall. Exactly. There's some variety, but there are a lot of names you expect to see in Omaha. Yeah, and, and we'll get all into only that. Vandy's fifth and 11 seasons. Feels like they're there every year. It does. It definitely, but still, 5 and 11. That's still not, not insane. Bad. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, they're almost making it at a 50% clip, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, I We're definitely, we're going to preview every team, strength and weaknesses on Friday, uh, and then give our predictions for who's going to win each bracket. Yes. So make sure I'm to tune in. forward to that. Just the last note, um, the game times, we will get into this, but just in case anybody doesn't get a chance to listen to that episode, 2 p.m. on Saturday, NC State, Sanford, 7 p.m. Saturday, Arizona, Vandy. Then on Sunday, 2 p.m., Virginia, Tennessee, and 7 p.m., Mississippi State, Texas. And it's Saturday the same. And Sunday, get ready. And it's the same schedule as the regionals where it's the four teams, they have the first, the first matchup, then it's the winner's bracket, loser's bracket, double elimination, winner of each bracket will face each other um, for the College World Series title. I cannot wait. Me neither. It's going to be awesome. Um, so I, that's all you got. That is, that's it for this Super Regionals recap, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, don't forget to check out our socials, Beyond the Diapod on Twitter, 
Beyond the Diamond podcast on Instagram, trying to get more active on those fronts, especially now that now that I'm home, I have a little more time on my hands to get down on that. Um, so next, like Colby said, a couple days coming up, next episode, we will be talking College World Series, giving you our take on all of these teams and what we expect to see in Omaha. Yeah, and I'm going to start trying to stream the show on uh, YouTube, on our YouTube. And I think we're going to try to do something special uh, for the draft, breaking down some of the prospects. And so make sure to be on the lookout, guys. A good point. I need to get ready for that. I can't wait. Yeah. All right. Thanks. All right, guys. Thanks for listening.